Okay, well, good morning, beloved saints in the Lord. Good morning. That's what we've missed for the month, right? <laughs> Sometimes we wonder if anybody was out there. Now, now we know there's people here. So I think everybody knows me here. I'm Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here, privileged to be so. So let's start right off with prayer. Father, we come before you to praise your name, to lift you up, to acknowledge you as our Lord, our God, our King, our ever-present help in our time of need, the one who has personally cleansed us and made us whole so that we could be with you and you could be with us. So we're here with you now. We've lifted you up in praise. We know that you inhabit the praise of your people. And so we are grateful that you are here with us now. Lord, I choose to step out of your way so that your light might shine through me. And I may just watch and observe how you are blessing us all through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So, as we, can we hear me now? We good? Everything good? Okay. So, today we're going to continue our series on marks of maturity in Christ. I'm going to talk about forgiveness. And I have uh, some degree of interest in knowing where words came from. It all stems from back when I was in 10th grade uh, high school English. And the English teacher uh, was requiring us to learn the meanings of just parts of words, like arch, A-R-C-H, and T-R-I, and ology. She called this etymology. I learned later that's different from entomology. So we had to study the Greek and Latin and German uh, roots of words. And I thought this all to be a bit ridiculous and a waste of time. Had it not been for the fact that this high school English teacher, she was recently out of college and she was rather attractive looking, so I uh, otherwise would have probably paid scant attention to that. About halfway through the year, uh, she gave us a vocabulary test, and I didn't recognize any of the words on that list, and we had to define them. And I was in a little bit of panic. But then as I began to look at the parts of the words, I was able to piece together what they actually probably meant past the exam. So not only was she beautiful, but she apparently was pretty smart as well. Okay. So as we look at this idea of forgiveness in terms of marks of maturity in Christ, as I just begin to think about the word forgive, which I have from time to time, you know, break that word down. It's for and give. How do we, how do we get from there to what we understand the meaning of that word to be? So I actually had to look this one up, and I found that the word for, whenever it's used as a prefix, can mean three different things. It can mean uh, to denote prohibition, like you can bid or you can forbid to prohibit something. Or it can be an extreme negative state, like you can be lorn or you can be forlorn. Or it can mean to, uh, to renounce or to abstain from something, like you can get or you can forget. You can go or you can forego. You can give or you can forgive. So the word give denotes some kind of a transfer of something, to hand over, to set aside, or, or so on. So we could say that forgive is to transfer or hand over that which is prohibited or negative or that which should be renounced. In the scriptures, the term used for, for forgiveness or to forgive is aphemi, which primarily means that, to send forth or send away or dismiss, to let loose from or to release. So we're going to look at three perspectives of, uh, with regard to forgiveness. We're going to be taking a look at the uh, being forgiven by God, we're going to take a look at forgiving others, and we're going to take a look at forgiving ourselves. And we're going to approach maturity in Christ that way. So we're going to start by talking about being forgiven by God. 
I don't know about you, but when I was first saved, it was sort of like being let out of prison. The whole idea that the slate was completely wiped clean. Even the worst things I'd done were just as equal to the small things I'd done. It was a huge release. It was we're connected to God. We can approach him. We have a relationship with him. And, of course, it may have been a few hours later, a few days later, a few weeks later, the sins started piling up again. And, and we might have felt like God might be mad at me. And so I thought, you know, I want that back, so I decided I should behave for a couple of days and maybe I can approach God again. At least when I was first saved, that's how I lived my life. I see some of you nodding as well, right? Being immature in Christ. And eventually we reapproach re- God and we find out we're given, forgiven. Now there's a difference between being excused and being forgiven. Initially, in, in immature in Christ, I and maybe some of you weren't really asking God for forgiveness, but we're asking to be excused from something. C.S. Lewis talks about this in The Weight of Glory. He says, I find that when I think I'm asking God to forgive me, I'm often, in reality, asking him to do something quite different. I am asking him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there's a difference in the word of forgiving and the word excusing. Forgiving, it says, yes, you have done this thing, but I will accept your apology, and I will never hold it against you, and everything between us two will be just like it was before. But excusing says, I see you couldn't really help it. You didn't really mean it. You really weren't to blame. So there's nothing really to excuse or to forgive. But real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, even the sin that's left over without excuse, and seeing it in all its horror and its dirt and its meanness and its malice, and nevertheless, being wholly reconciled to the one who has done it to you. So in other words, forgiveness and tolerance are not the same thing. Just because God forgives us of our sin doesn't mean he also therefore tolerates it. He doesn't excuse it. One simple proof of that is that you'll notice that when you sin, even though God forgives it, you're also not removed from the consequences of that sin while you're here on earth. You still get that. Like, I thought it was forgiven. You are, but that's still going to happen to you. That doesn't stop, right? So the question becomes, in a sense, why does God forgive? I mean, it almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? That he's willing to forgive all of my sins that I've ever committed and ever will commit. We could easily agree God is able Sin. In fact, we would go all the way to say he's the only one who's able to forgive sin. That he really wants to do that is sort of the mystery. I don't think God forgives sin just because he can, and for some reason he wants to. I think there's another motive behind that. I think what he wants is a loving relationship with us, and the sin stands in the way of that goal. It's sort of a means to another end. Remember, while God is love and wants to be in a relationship with us, in a loving relationship, he's also holy. And in that, in that way, he cannot deny his holiness, he cannot deny his nature. So he had to deal with sin in order to be able to be in a relationship with us. He had to remove the barrier. Initially, he prescribed ritual sacrifice. He gave mankind a way to remove their sin through sacrifice, but that was only temporary, and the sins would build up again, and they'd sacrifice again, and they were good to go. It was sort of like a roller coaster relationship with God. Then he appointed priests to pray for people, and that would work for a while, but then it wouldn't work. It wasn't lasting. God needed a lasting solution to remove sin once and for all. And so his son volunteers 
to take care of this once and for all to become that sacrifice that permanently removes the barrier of sin. Jesus volunteered to do that because he wants us to know his Father. Think how awesome the Father must be if Jesus so desperately wants us to know who his Father is. So now, because of Jesus, anyone, literally anyone, can be cleansed and forgiven of all their sins, no matter what the sin. And how do we know this? Well, there's a lot of places that talk about this. For example, in Romans 8, 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians six eleven says, But you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And I think we all know 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and forgive us of our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we mature in Christ, we begin to learn through his word that he never really does leave us. No matter how grievous the sin, he always stands ready to forgive us. As we grow in that understanding, some sin will start to lose its power over us. Instead of being attracted to that sinful thing or thought, or behavior which made us feel bad about ourselves, we start to become attracted to him who lifts us up, encourages, cleanses, teaches us, and heals us. Doesn't make us feel bad about ourselves. So then, as we mature in Christ, we begin to see forgiveness a little differently. We'll start to see forgiveness as letting go of all hope for a better past. Because all of us hold on to that hope for a better past. And we gain all hope for a better future. As it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you for hope and a future. So then a mark of maturity in Christ is the growing assurance and confidence. We are always, always, always being forgiven. And we will always, always be forgiven. And therefore, we can always approach God no matter what. We can stop hiding as Adam and Eve did. In that process of growing closer to the Lord, knowing we can always approach Him, and as we do, the Lord will tend to show us something about our relationships with other people, that those could probably be improved. There is some sending away or letting loose that we can choose to do with regard to others. He also wants us, therefore, to learn to forgive one another. We read this in Colossians 3, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, as I always refer to you when I greet you whenever I talk. Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. You don't see that word must too often in Scripture. So when you see that, it's important. We must forgive one another. So as we mature in Christ, as we progress in this area of learning to forgive others, we learn to do it more and more easily. The question might be, when do I really need to forgive somebody? I mean, we might think, as I have and I've seen others do, so I really only need to forgive someone when they ask me forgiveness, right? No, not exactly. See, when Jesus paid the penalty required for sin, God forgave all mankind of all sins ever committed and ever to be committed. He's fine. His wrath has subsided, at least with respect to our condition. 
that does not mean everybody's saved. It's like a banquet of amazing food that's been prepared for everybody, and everybody's been invited, but not everybody believes it. So everybody doesn't show up. It's all been done for you, but you can't experience it. You have to show up. And where we show up in this case is at the foot of the cross, asking for forgiveness, asking Jesus to come into our lives. So now you know why, when a person does come to the Lord to get saved, how God is able to so quickly and so immediately forgive them. Because he already has done that. So if you've been hurt, go ahead and forgive them, even though they might not have asked for forgiveness yet. Even, at least you'll be healed. <laughs> In addition, if they ever do come around to asking you forgiveness, guess what you will be willing and able to do immediately? <laughs> because you already have. It's being like God. Remember, it's important to forgive. We all heard the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It's a good idea to read the next two verses after that. Because then Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm going to give you ten steps to learning to forgive more easily and more quickly. The first step when we feel sinned against, we invariably feel hurt, and that hurt tends to express itself as anger. The hurt only lasts a while, but then it turns into anger. And that can lead to hate and a lingering desire for revenge and so on. And these, this is, becomes destructive and emotional drain on us, and we don't even realize it. Emmett Aldrich uh, talks about these 12 steps, and he also talks uh, about this other guy, Dr. Michael Obsatz, who talks about different kinds of anger. There's chronic anger, sort of an ongoing resentment towards other people. And I've known, and you might have known people like that as well, they just constantly resent everybody. But then there's this other type of anger, which is not constant and chronic, it's more sporadic, it's volatile anger. There's this explosion, and then everything's okay. And then there's another explosion, and then everything's okay, right? That volatile anger. A third type of anger is judgmental anger, which comes across as hypercritical statements about other people constantly judging them. Then there's this passive anger. It's, it's why we smile at people behind their back, talk about them. <laughs> it's another way to get at them indirectly. Then there's an overwhelmed anger. It's just so much anger that a person doesn't even know how they can handle this com- complex situation anymore. The client I just got this past week, that was her opening statement. I need your help. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do anymore. And in our first session, she found out she was angry. She didn't even know she was angry because she's always smiling and doing things for people, but actually livid about all that's been happening to her through her life from a little girl. There's, of course, retaliatory anger, right? Specific action directed at another person. And then the seventh one, which in some ways to me is probably the worst one, and that is self-inflicted anger. It's directed at ourselves as the self-destructive behavior either through physical harm or attitude, and results in poor self-image. These forms of anger will feel righteous and justified, like there's no way I'm going to forgive them. In fact, I'm going to get back at them by withholding forgiveness, which is sort of an oxymoron. Forgiveness means sending away. I'm going to withhold sending away. What we're technically saying is I'm going to withhold forgiving them. I'm going to keep that pain. That way... I'm reminded not to let them hurt me again. I'll do it for them. 
Hmm? Look, I'm going to differentiate those types of anger from there is a righteous anger. There's a righteous anger that comes from when you see injustice done to others and you want to take action. That's constructive anger. We saw Jesus do that from time to time. I'm not talking, I'm not saying never be angry. I'm just saying, where's this anger coming from? Is it from a, a sense of hurt? Maybe that's not so good for you. And the step two is the tendency to be stubborn. I'll say, don't be stubborn, be willing. God has given us free will, unfortunately. We can therefore be willing to forgive or willful not to forgive. You know, for some reason, it seems to be a lot easier to hold on to the anger and the hurt feelings, doesn't it? It's just so easy to do that. We can be actually become comfortable in our anger and our pain associated with injustice. But then after a while, we start to realize this pain doesn't feel so good. I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to lose my balance. My emotional and physical well-being is starting to get out of whack. Perhaps this is what they mean when they've said withholding forgiveness is like you drinking poison and waiting for them to get sick. It's throwing you off. If this feeling gets bad enough, what we'll tend to do is sort of lessen the impact. One way is just stop thinking about it. Or other times, take a break or go on a trip or do something different to distract our constant thoughts of this pain and this anger. I've actually even recommended that to some of my clients who are really struggling with getting to forgiveness. I said, well, what I have to do in the meantime is go on vacation somewhere. And they came back and said, well, it felt better for two weeks. But then they're right back <laughs> to where they were before. We're just delaying the inevitable. The third step, no more victim mentality. Generally, if we're angry with someone, it's because we feel they've committed a serious wrong against us. Look, stop being offended all the time about everything. I think Satan has worked long and hard to get us all in a state where we're being constantly offended by things that weren't even said about us. You know, I have a rule. If someone says that you're ugly or stupid or smell bad, that's about you. You can be offended by that. Everything else is about somebody else when we glom on to these other groups and I'm offended by this and offended by that. Yeah, how's that working for you? Okay, so it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves, isn't it? To some degree. And we want others to feel sorry for us as well. But we choose to send away. We choose to forgive. We start to remember how good it can feel to forgive someone. Or we might remember times in the past when we've been forgiven. Or the Lord might call to our remembrance how that feels to actually be forgiven. We start to think more clearly about a, about a better future. We're not always feeling angry or defeated or confused or depressed. But rather we start to see a future that's more full of hope and lightness and energy. It's in that stage where we start to make a deliberate choice to send away. We realize there's only so much space in our mind to process stuff. We can either use that space to process the hurt and the anger, or we can use that space to think about a better way to come up with, to heal this relationship. Focusing on the future. Usually what's been done cannot be undone. Dwelling on the past tends to perpetuate those feelings of hurt. Continually bringing up these issues of the past tends to only make the rift bigger. In fact, a lot of my clients, I will not let them talk about the past. It frustrates some of them. But I ask them, how many times have you explained this to people? Oh, about 50. And what's happened? It just made it worse. So <clears throat> keeping bringing that up just makes it worse. When I teach negotiation, which I'll be doing this week in Greenville for two days and in Houston the next two days, so pray for me, the first construct I teach 
is what we call a dynamic issue and a static issue. Uh, a static issue is an issue that can't be changed in any way because it sits in the past. So therefore, we can't really negotiate it. Dynamic issues are changeable. They sit in the future. But many negotiators will bring up static issues from the past to try to create tension in the other party to get a concession on dynamic issues in the future. And that's why people generally don't like negotiating competitively because there's a lot of tension and there's upset about the past, which you can do nothing about. But after a while, we start to realize that all this arguing about what's happened in the past doesn't really get us anywhere. Let's start talking about what we want to see in the future. Otherwise, we can spend a good deal of time talking about what happened. Most people who work at places where they have meetings begin to realize all our meetings are about static issues. <laughs> what happened? They become blame-storming sessions. After a while, we might begin to realize that some of this pain also might be self-inflicted. As we mature in Christ, we might start to become more patient, more understanding, more loving. To get to this level of maturity means we're going to have to depend more and more on Jesus, who because he went away, the Father sent the Spirit to us to give us the power to forgive. As I said before, forgiveness is giving all hope up for a better past. So when God forgave you of your sins, when he sent them away, where did he send them to? How far away did he send them? Well, Psalms 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Or as Julie said last week, it is finished. It really is. That's how far away they are. In Philippians, Paul encourages us to press onward to the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus by forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. As we do that, we're going to then need to learn or to relearn to trust the one who's hurt us or offended us. That's what complete forgiveness is, relearning to trust. And to do that, you must allow yourself to become vulnerable to some degree. Don't become completely vulnerable. But you learn this step by step. Because ultimately, forgiveness is actually about reconciliation. It's not forgiveness for the sake of forgiveness that has an ultimate goal to be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this as sort of the essence of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Relearn to trust. The next step would be to be reasonable. More reasonable in your realistic expectations of others. In the midst of all our anger and emotions and so on, it can be hard to really have a fair judgment 
about another person. We expect others to recognize the injustice done to us, and we want them to immediately and profusely apologize. We want that person to be elaborate and excessive in their apology to us. But God doesn't require that of us, though. And when you got saved, how elaborate was it? Because for me, it was pretty simple. Just bowed my head and spoke a few sentences, and just like that, he was already ready to forgive. Become more patient and understanding like God is. And by the way, when you realize you've hurt or offended someone and you decide to apologize to them, do you do it immediately and profusely and elaborately? <laughs> no, we don't do that. So why would he expect it from someone else? That's another mark of maturity in Christ, by the way, to forgive immediately and not become defensive. Step seven would be to expect, in some cases, that it might take a little bit longer to forgive somebody. Some sins will be pretty quick and easy. Others might take a little bit longer. But the problem is, at this point, we've come to expect sort of immediate gratification, instant gratification. My coughing and the thing, boom, everything's fast, right? Everything's a little too fast sometimes. Healing from a hurt might take some passage of time to allow yourself to get to that level of appropriate forgiveness. I think this is what Jesus may have been talking about in Matthew 18 when Peter asks, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And what does Jesus say? He says, uh, we must forgive others not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, I think Jesus was saying, keep on forgiving them until you've forgiven them. <laughs> right? Keep on forgiving until you're finally over with it and you've truly sent away your pain and your anger. The next step would be to look at yourself, to examine your heart. And this might be the hardest, that I've done something wrong. You know, Mr. or Miss Perfect here? Can't be possible. But you see, the law of reciprocity is still around. Whatever you send out will come back to you. What did Jesus tell us? Love others and treat others the way you want to be treated. It's possible if you're being treated a way you don't like to be treated, you may have accidentally contributed to that. They might be responding in kind to something you said or did an hour a day or five years ago. They finally get to get back at you. Might have to stop and ask, did I contribute somehow to this? Do I need to be forgiven? And then step nine, start to make this more of a habit. Maturing in Christ. Forgiveness becomes an everyday practice. Let's focus more on what we can do for others rather than dwelling on the hurt and anger we feel because of an injustice. We can count our blessings. Remember the good things about your life and don't dwell on the hurt feelings. Let forgiveness become a natural part of your life, a normal practice, a discipline, if you will. And then occasionally, we might get in a situation where the offense, the pain is too much. And I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive that person. That's the bad news. The good news is we have a father who will do this for us when we can't do it ourselves, when it's just, you're asking me too much here. I'm going to go out on a limb here and look at Jesus on the cross from that perspective. As this came to me as I was thinking about this, that sometimes I have to ask the Father to forgive. And this thought came to me just like I did on the cross. Jesus was always forgiving people when he was alive, wasn't he? He was always doing that. And we also saw human times in his life, like he, 
He got tired and fell asleep in the back of the boat, and the disciples gave him a hard time for that. He got hungry once, and there was figs on, no figs on the tree, and he got angry at that, right? He was human, and he had those human times. Well, you know, I think too often there's an injustice done whenever there's movies showing Jesus on the cross. He just kind of looks a little tired on the cross. That's not what he looks like according to Scripture. He was scourged. He was, there would probably be no sign of skin anywhere, but completely drenched in blood, flesh hanging off of his body. He was unrecognizable as a human being. And that's when he said, it's hard for me right now, Father, to forgive them. Father, forgive them. I can't right now. He said in the garden, if this cup could pass from me, He's modeling for us, even when you're in the worst situation you've ever been, you can always ask the Father, forgive them right now, because I can't. Now, if I've upset any of my theologian people in here, we can talk afterwards. I'm not going to insist on that. I've got a lot of other commentaries. But that hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Why didn't Jesus say, I forgive you? A little tough when half of your body's hanging off your skeleton. Pretty tough time. So ask him for guidance. I'm always reminded, whenever I think of forgiveness, I can't get out of my mind. Corey Ten Boom and Tramp for the Lord. Anybody read that story? If you've never heard it, I'm sorry, I'm going to read it to you. Because it's so relevant to what we're talking about here. Uh, in, in her book, she talks about being confronted by a German guard at the prison camp in which she and her sister were held. She, and she was speaking at this church in Munich, and after the war was over. She says, I was in a church in Munich, and I saw him. This is right after she finished speaking, working his way towards the others as everybody else filed out. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform, a visored cap, and its skull and crossbones. And it came back to me with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he's in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, handheld out, but to me it was like hours. 
wrestling with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. But if we do not forgive those who trespass against us, neither will the Father forgive yours. That's what Jesus said. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had come to Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness, they remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. Not forgiving. And I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help! I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that. You supply the feeling, and so woodenly. Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the outstretched one to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands, and then this feeling of warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. With all of my heart, I forgive you. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So another mark of maturity in Christ is learning to forgive others more quickly. You know, sometimes we might struggle with forgiving others because we haven't forgiven ourselves. The day I learned I must forgive myself is the day my walk with the Lord picked up pace. My life became lighter, my perspective clearer, and it was one of the more difficult things I had to do in my life to forgive myself. It makes so sense. It makes all kinds of sense to do that. But I think Satan hates that the most. I think if Satan had a choice, he would rather you be forgiven by God and forgive others, but still despise yourself. Let's walk through this psychologically and theologically. Have you ever asked God to forgive you? Yes? What did he do? He forgave you? Did he forgive you every sin you've committed? How do you know that? Says it in the Word. Have you ever had to forgive others? You did? Great. Are you reconciled with them? Mm, Think about that. Uh, Have you ever forgiven this one other called you? Because you're one of the others. Have you forgiven yourself? Over the years, I've encountered numerous Christians who I've found struggled with that more than anything else. I would ask those simple questions, and that third one would get a pause. And then they would say something like, Yeah, that's the problem, Bill. I just can't forgive myself. But every time I ask that, I just can't forgive myself. That's, that's the big one. And what I detect in that answer, because I used to do this myself, is an air of righteousness. It's like, I'm not going to forgive myself. That decision somehow makes me more righteous, or so I think. However, it's actually doing the opposite. It's unrighteous, bordering on blasphemy. Here's what we're actually doing when we refuse to forgive ourselves. We are inadvertently saying... I believe God has forgiven me. I received his forgiveness. I'm relieved. I'm thankful and so on. However, I'm not going to forgive myself. I'm disagreeing with God here. 
I know better than God. I know I shouldn't be forgiven, and I'm being more righteous than God. Yeah, that's it. I know better, and I'm more holy than God. I am guilty. Aren't I wonderful? Doesn't make any sense now, does it? But that's what we do. It's like that courtroom scene in Liar, Liar, where Jim Carrey's character is being threatened by the judge with, um, with uh, contempt. And Jim Carrey says, you hold me in contempt. I hold myself in contempt. You're not being righteous, you're being blasphemous. You're setting yourself higher than God. You need to sit back down like Jesus did, as Julie taught us last week. He sat down. And we're seated in him, it says. Sit back down. Do for yourself what he's done for you. Forgive, send away, let loose, bestow a favor. (laughs) Dismiss, give yourself a break. So then this final mark of maturity in Christ is when we stop beating ourselves down and we start lifting our heads up. We start to see ourselves the same way God sees us, as holy, clean, powerful, and beautiful. See, ultimately forgiveness is about reconciliation. It, forgiveness ensures the presence of God in our lives. As Christ died on the cross for our sins, we receive divine forgiveness from him. So receive it, accept it, so you can also give it to others and to yourself as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word on forgiveness. We pray that you would apply it deeply into our hearts, that we might be transformed, knowing we're always having access to you, being empowered to forgive each other, and also forgiving ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.